Hello, Cryptoland. I'm Justin. It's a day, and this is some sort of arc-related podcast, episode 53, I guess. Yes, we are currently in hiatus. However, we have a special edition episode coming straight at you with a new project that we're assessing to potentially join the Powered by Arc program. And of course, we're going to let the community in on the process and interview Internet of People, who aims to create a decentralized identity system and really allow people to take control of their personal information online. We're joined by three guests today. So it's triple the podcast, triple the action. First up, we've got Marcus, founder of Internet of People. Hello, Marcus. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, hello. Thank you for having me and uh, giving me the opportunity to introduce our project to the, our community. Nice to meet you. You too, you too. Now, next up, we've got Christian, who handles a lot of the PR, marketing, outreach type endeavors. Christian, how are you? Hello, hello. Yeah, everything good here. Um, I'm uh, calling in from the Netherlands today, and um, well, I'm very, very excited to be on this podcast. Fantastic. Now, last up, we've got Wiggy, a.k.a. Attila, who handles the technical aspects of IOP. How's it going, Wiggy? Hi, thanks. I'm fine. I'm calling from Budapest, Hungary, actually. So we're way intercontinental right now with me tuning in from Los Angeles. So this is a very global podcast, and I love it. I love it. All right. So let's start off hearing a little from Marcus. Marcus, according to you, what is IOP and what is it trying to do? Okay, well, first, uh, I'd like to emphasize that IOP is not just a common blockchain project. IOP uh, has a grand vision of uh, changing the way how um, technology will shape interactions between people. Um, at the current stage where we are, the main focus is uh, providing a decentralized identity solution, which, of course, uh, utilizes a blockchain. And um, uh, with this identity solution, we give the people to have full control about their own identity, which might even not be known to any government, but um, the people um, can tie to this identity. Uh, they are uh, different personas, uh, public profiles. Probably uh, they will have a government pro uh, profile with, uh, with their passport attached to it. They will have a university profile. Um, like uh, they will use uh, um, maybe a profile for their hobbies. And this is the main focus at this stage of the project. The first step was not the blockchain. The first step was to establish a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer communication protocol encrypted and using the newest crypto technology provided by, by all these latest inventions. Uh, the second step is uh, uh, having a blockchain um, and um, tying uh, an, an ID to it. This is uh, happening currently now, and I hope that we will be Roughly at the same time, ready like Arc with their with their bridge solution, uh, solutions, and from here it could get really interesting. Um, um, looking for maybe some collaboration, working together, or uh, finding real-world use cases for 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 several crypto projects. And um, uh, we are going to to universities and start building kind of. Facebook for universities, um, where uh, different universities, when they have uh, fields uh, where they are uh, researching in, that they can uh, get to know of each other. They are not in data silences. Now, first, blockchain, IDs, uh, and then we <laughs> move on. Okay. Yeah, sounds great, Marcus. Sounds great. Now, what I'd like to do is uh, ask each of the three of you a question a little bit about your background. 
So let's start off with you, Marcus. Uh, what were you doing before you even heard about blockchain technology? And then how did you come across it? Well, I come from the IT sector. I um, uh, learned knowledge engineering, uh, artificial intelligence, cognitive psychology at uh, university Maastricht. And um, after this, I started off with my own uh, company. No, I was uh, uh, quite small and uh, I tried to compete with uh, Google. The, all the cloud things came up, AWS and, 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 and Kubernetes. And it got more and more difficult for me to compete with uh, all these big players. And at the same time, when the banking crisis hit, hit us hard, um, uh, I discovered uh, Bitcoin. And uh, from that moment, uh, I was hooked and, and uh, switched slowly but surely more and more uh, to the crypto space, trying to find uh, jobs and, and customers in that area. And from 2000 and I think uh, 12 or 13, I completely uh, was uh, into the crypto and blockchain world. Cool. Very cool. All right, Christian, it's your time to shine. Are you ready? Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, same same question, Christian. Uh, what were you doing before you discovered blockchain technology and how did you come across it? Well, I joined a little bit later than Marcus did. So I wasn't lucky enough to join in 2012, 2013. Uh, actually started off as um, in the game development game industry. I started my own company uh, that developed video games uh, way back in the day. So this was 1999, uh, 2001, up until 2004. Uh, had a couple of big uh, online portals that kept track of all of the online first-person shooter games. And they were making uh, kind of um, uh, statistics and metrics uh, on well, basically the activity there. Mm -hmm. And then uh, suddenly uh, those two projects uh, uh, yeah, came in some rough weather. I was forced to abandon both of them, both the game development and the uh, larger portals that I was managing. And I switched to the data center world. I've been working in business-to-business uh, -business data center professional services for about 12 years now. Um, a couple of years ago, within that role, I... Um, had the possibility of um, exploring new technologies. So I was looking at uh, quantum computing, looking at artificial intelligence also. And one of those was crypto. Um, and uh, yeah, I went through a lot of white papers and a lot of communities and joined the various telegrams, discords and uh, slacks. Uh, but the one community where um, yeah, I just had to stop was the Internet People community. Um, and the reason for that was actually pretty simple. It wasn't something in uh, the white paper that they have written, but it was something about the people that were there. They were engaging me in conversation. They were treating me like a human being. They were really pulling me into this community. So I just had to know what, what this was about. So I looked yeah, more into the project and uh, looked at where I could help and it ended up being uh, the community management, marketing, uh, and the social outreach uh, part of the, uh, the project. I'm happy to be part of the team now for a couple of years already. I've recently joined the ARC Slack as well, and I was pleasantly surprised to get the, well, a similar welcome as, as, as you were describing, uh, delegates coming up to me and, and saying, hey, uh, yeah, I see that you're new here, and you know, starting to introducing themselves, and 
really, really gotten to know a couple of really cool people, and they're also now looking into our community. So I feel a great synergy between the two. Well, outstanding. And of course, we're going to go into more detail later on on why ARC, because it's one of my biggest questions here today. But first, let's get to know Wiggy a little bit better. How's it going, Wiggy? Are you ready? Yes, I'm in. Okay. So what were you doing before you discovered blockchain technology and how did you come across it? Obviously, obviously I was just developing software. <laughs> so, um, and the topic was uh, optimizing hospital information system workflows with uh, speech recognition. So I, um, I was uh, participating in many projects um, where speech recognition was used by radiologists, I don't know, pathologists, all these people who usually in the old times had a transcriptionist. <laughs> and, then, and then those transcriptionists were outsourced to India and it, it made bit, their life a little bit harder. And now we uh, <laughs> try to make them a little bit easier again by using uh, pretty good speech recognition systems. I, I saw, saw how these uh, data about patient data and, and uh, all these uh, examination data was treated at hospitals. And I was discontent. So I, I started asking questions to my company and uh, start, tried to escalate some of the problems I saw with these hospital information systems, uh, like, I don't know, sharing non-anonymous non data with the uh, insurance companies and all these things. But I had a feel that, that this data doesn't belong to them. It's, it's not, it, it, it belongs to me. If I go to a hospital, it's my data. It's not the hospital's data. It's not the insurance company. That's, that's when I started looking for solutions and uh, I found it in the decentralization movement. And I wasn't that uh, interested in, in a, cryptocurrencies as such and mining, but I was more interested in the privacy. I, I, a friend of mine introduced me to Bitcoin in 2015, and then I left my job in early 2016 and started looking for projects to join with, with this friend of mine. And, and then, then we found Fermat Project, st starting point uh, where, we, where this whole IOP community was born in. Cool. And you know, my dad is a medical doctor and he's always complaining about the inefficiencies and the oddities with like record keeping and exchanging information within the medical community. And, and it's like a very uh, uh, regulated and slow moving sector where innovation is it, just hard. It's a good niche, man, especially for blockchain technology. It's a good niche. Yeah. Many projects tried to do that and uh, they seem to be now, now in retrospect, they seem to be just a, um, basically a scam. <laughs> so, <laughs> So, but we are not focusing only on medical, as you see, but but all personally identifiable and identifiable data that uh, you you should own, and uh, this this of course includes your medical data too. Sure. So let's go into the IOP stack, uh, the system, and how it, it's expected to function and everything. I'd like to know first off a general case, uh, proof of age when you're doing a transaction that requires you to be a certain age. Let's break this down to find out what is the process to interfacing with the blockchain for the first time to set up a DID that says, I look like this and I am over 21. How does that process work? And then go into the secondary process of how do I verify my age with the bartender on the other side who is about to serve me alcohol and kind of go from there. We are somewhat special in that sense that um, we don't uh, imagine every uh, verifiable claim to be present on the blockchain. So if you if you just want to want a simple proof, so you just download this app, start it up, uh, 
you you will be run through a, a simple setup where you basically set up a wallet, right? So you just save your secret uh, data somewhere. You verify that we verify that you saved it. Uh, this is all offline at the moment, and then uh, uh, you create claim that you are over twenty one in one of your personas. So you could create many many more personas, uh, but let's say you just create one. Uh, you create a claim for that, and then you ask someone to sign that. Now, uh, at the moment, we are focusing on Web of Trust use cases. So it's not an official document that you receive, or it's not a state actor who will sign this data. But this is similar to that. Uh, so you could you could uh, send send this very uh, claim request to your friends or the state or whatever, and they will send you back a signature signed version of it, so proving that uh, they uh, they know you and and uh, you are you you are satisfying those claims. Now, about the bartender, obviously that needs a mobile phone. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So that 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 needs to be needs to wait for a for a while. Okay. Um, but uh, uh, when we are ready with that, you you uh, you probably just uh, show your mobile phone with this claim. Uh, they can scan a QR code with the uh, presentation of your claim, so, which which binds together your profile and this claim. I guess I would follow up with a question like this. Currently, you know, you've got, I'm, I'm going to call them notaries. I mean, there might be other labels for this, but like just the people that say, I saw your degree and I confirm that you have a degree from the University of California, Los Angeles or something. How is it managed on, on the system where the person that wants to know that you're confirmed to have that degree needs to trust the person that they don't know who confirmed it. How does that work? Where I know that somebody somewhere confirmed it, but I would kind of have to trust that they were being acting honestly and all of that. Like, how do you incentivize or punish the people that are doing the verifications of the claims for the DIDs? Reputation is a difficult question. So, um, if you're asking uh, whether we will solve the reputation problem at the moment, uh, we, we try to postpone that a little bit. We, we focus more on, on these these use cases where there are known actors, okay. so that the university can state that this is my uh, this is my profile that usually signs diplomas, right? Okay, actually, Wiggy, I think I understand what you're saying. You're you're saying that in at the moment these verifiers are already trusted in, in general. So, like for example. When you get this claim of I got a I got a degree from University X, it's University X that's signing that exactly right. And so, like, if for example you wanted to do a uh, proof of age situation where you wanted to prove that I look like this and I'm this age, your local or state government would be the one that is, and you would partner with governments, you would partner with universities, you would partner with corporations to uh, be the the people that are verifying the claims. Exactly, but this—if you have a local community, you have trusted people in your local community as well. Sure. So, like, if you have classmates, and I don't know, uh, you want to prove that uh, I don't know John thinks that you are cool, then uh, <laughs> John can uh, share his persona with the uh, class, and then you, you know that John really, really thinks that you are cool. Okay, right? I I totally got you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense actually. <laughs> so I'm with it. Mm. 
maybe maybe I can uh, uh, add my two cents to that because I here like to put a kind of vision thing for the next uh, uh, steps where we are heading to because a lot of people don't really grasp uh, why do I need this identity thing and persona thing and this is complicated and so on and so forth. Uh, China just released a new law that, uh, um, uh, and from now on, that if you like to use uh, the internet, you have to provide a telephone number that is uh, not, um, yeah, you cannot change it. It's bound to your to to your ID, and uh, you can only use the internet if this telephone number is uh, connected with a visual face ID scan, right? So here the government uh, clearly has uh, the identity uh, of you and whatever you are trying to do is uh, fully 100% monitored and we all know um, this kind of dystopia where, where it could lead to. Uh, our solution is, to my knowledge, the only one, the only project, at least so far developed, that uh, found uh, by design a very good uh, solution to the unavoidable um, uh, things that are coming in the future. The governments want people to identify them just by a number, by a telephone number, by face scan. We will not go around that. This will come. Uh, the future, we cannot avoid that. But we can, with IOP, change it and twist it in a way that we get uh, at least control about our private identity back into our hands. So, very quick example, uh, you uh, create with our Prometheus app uh, um, uh, a wallet, you have an ID, uh, this only belongs to you, and inside this wallet you create personas. And of course you will probably have a public persona which is known to the government. Yeah, and. Uh, this public persona, uh, you try to uh, uh, keep as good reputation as possible. You try to not park <laughs> on the wrong lane, you try uh, to avoid tickets, you try to have a good degree at school, uh, you behave like the perfect citizen, right? And with this persona, of course, you attach your telephone number and your face ID and you make the government happy. So, but what you at the same time can do is you can create a second persona where you, for example, now let's take Hong Kong as example, where you are a journalist and uh, you do investigate journalism and you, you write articles that uh, some governments really don't like. And this persona is completely unattached officially to your real uh, public known persona. So you have suddenly two personas that you can maintain. And uh, the only question is how does the second persona get a good reputation as well? Yeah? But I think this uh, is something that will, um, uh, will come up later. We will have a project called Fides for that. Uh, project Fides will build a reputation system that uh, is uh, far beyond what, what we could solve uh, today. Um, but we will have a simple reputation system which is maybe as good or as bad as the Chinese one uh, when we finish uh, uh, the latest DID things on blockchain combined with Mercury because uh, Mercury is a communication protocol and inherent this communication protocol we can uh, see 
who is contacting with whom and how do they rate each other and so you have a weighting system of how much you can trust somebody and how less but uh, to have the real perfect uh, identity and rating system. Uh, this is a project for itself and this is why we have an IOP stack and Fetus, uh, the reputation thing on top, is to my opinion one of the most difficult problems to solve and this is something that we are going to tackle not now, not next year, but hopefully in two or three years. And then we have the answer to the government. We can give them what they want but we can keep our own privacy. And my last sentence to that, just look at Australia. If you enter Australia, they by law can now force you to give them your private key, even your seed wallet, right? So uh, what you can do with our system already is, uh, uh, Rigi can el elaborate on that, is a plausibility, plausible Plausible deniability, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, 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 so if they ask you for the password and want to get to know your all identity and personas, you just uh, give them your seat uh, uh, phrase and uh, 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 delete or leave one word out of it and uh, they will have a fantastic, clean, open, public, profile with bank accounts registered, paying tax, being a good citizen, having good ratings, maybe have a second persona as a hobby, uh, 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 train riding or being a doctor or a jockey rider, whatever, and all is fine. But uh, they, uh, because of we have a private identity that only belongs to you and nobody can access it, uh, there is maybe even more stored, maybe a persona where you are uh, a club member, a, um, a dissident, a journalist, uh, somebody who is not uh, seen, uh, welcome from the system. And they're the wallets that you keep in that persona are completely safe and your money as well. So whatever the government is trying to do, what we are doing now is a race. Who is uh, uh, first and who is always one step ahead? And uh, at this moment, I think uh, we are one... We are maybe the only project that is uh, really going in the full scope into that direction. Yeah, and that's why we didn't focus so much on blockchain so far. Okay, so let me ask you this. Your comments about having multiple personas really sparked a question that somebody might ask. So if you have multiple personas that you can manage and you can build reputations, then is there a way for the system to combat secondary markets where people are like building up personas that are cool and good and clean and then just like selling them off to somebody who wants to do shady stuff but needs a good persona well honestly um uh, in version one where we are tying it more to the mercury system and uh, looking into the interactions between people you can of course fake uh, correspondences fake uh, um, uh, transactions and this and forth, but uh, uh, it will be harder than getting a five or four star rating at eBay or Amazon. Be yeah, <laughs> okay. to show that one. Yeah. So uh, uh, I don't, I don't worry that much about this one. And it's the first step, which will already change a lot um, in our end goal with Fetus, this will be probably excluded and not possible. But uh, Wigi can elaborate on that more. But uh, fetus is something, that's why it's so complicated. We have some plans that will make this impossible. Thank you. So now we got Wiggy. He's waving at me. What do you, Wiggy, what do you got? With the reputation and, and the selling uh, prof personas, 
this, this begs the question, okay, so why would you create a system where you are dealing with uh, foreigners or uh, completely uh, unknown people and you still want their reputation, right? So this is a global use case. Uh, it's, it's a natural thing for uh, investors to think about that, but uh, we also have an, another use case, which is the local use case where you just want to know, let's say as a company, does this message really come from my boss or is it just a fake message that is uh, impersonated by someone? Aha. And these are, th these are also really important uh, questions in Mercury that, that, that are solved. Another very important point is if you look at GDPR, data protection in Europe, uh, we could create a persona where um, it is uh, claimed and verifiable that this person is over 18, this and this attributes that are necessary and allow him, for example, to buy alcohol or to buy, to, to buy a gun, yeah, whatever. Yeah? So um, he could go uh, into a store just uh, with NFC chip or just by a transaction uh, proof uh, um, that uh, his, uh, persona, his persona is allowed uh, to make this purchase and the other company is never ever getting any private data. It just gets the proof. verification of the claim, the proof that this person is honest and uh, that this person is allowed to do that. So there is never ever data going into a different company that later has to fight with European or international law, how to store the data, data breaches, all the scandals we have. So this is another beauty of that. And, and this is just one use case. What you also can do is you can fine tune it. You can say, for example, if you are uh, from a third world country and you really uh, like to have a, a second income, uh, then you make parts of your persona um, data public. So if a company likes to know your name, your email address, then you can fine tune and fine grade and say, for example, yes, uh, I'm willing to share this information, but only if this company is sending me one ARC, one Hydra, or X crypto, whatever. So mm. you basically can uh, uh, sell off your public profile data, what is today in, in, in Facebook not possible, because in Facebook today, you are the product. But we, we completely revert this and put it upside down. You are now in control of your own data, and you can basically define what data uh, uh, the companies can buy from you and the, to access more knowledge about you. And this is getting really interesting in, in commercials and advertising marketing and, and all these things. Well, I'm attracted to that idea. And, you know, there's actually a hypothetical case on the ARC documentation on docs.arc.io. There's a big section about blockchain and, and getting developers to kind of think in the blockchain solutions sense. And one of the hypothetical situations is something very similar to that. It's like, if a company wants to include you in uh, some marketing statistics or get your opinion on something, but they don't want it to just be spam random people who just want to get paid, they want to they want to make sure that it's verified that this is a credible source of feedback. Like for example, everyone who owns an SUV in Michigan, then they could uh, buy that information from you and then allow you to participate in that study, knowing that proof. Exactly. And and they know it wouldn't be spam. Now I'm Christian. Yeah. You've been patiently waiting on the side, and I appreciate that. Sure. I 
would normally ask this question to somebody like a wiggy type, a more technical type. But I'm very curious about what you would say in your answer from your perspective, because I think that mm -hmm. from the community side, you know, you, you came up deep in the community, you were able to observe the project just as much as participate in the project. What has IOP built so far prior to discovering ARC technology? Like it's been out for a couple of years now. So like what's been going on from your perspective? Well, first of all, let, let me say that uh, on what Vicky and Marcus already said, I think the things that are built are really built for the people. So one of the core principles uh, that's always maintained is that it's gatekeeper free and it's open source. So we are not a company that's selling a solution. It's really building from the ground up infrastructure that we will need or perhaps our children will need in the future. Um, I think the most impressive, uh, what, what I've seen from uh, the developers uh, being built is the communication protocol, uh, um, the Mercury communication protocol, which is a decentralized um, uh, communication protocol that doesn't actually uh, rely uh, in its fundaments on TCP IP only. So it's possible to take those same blocks that we have and apply it to a different uh, transport layer, um, maybe a mobile network or um, radio waves. That might not be important for us because we, well, yeah, we live in the West and we've got a, a cool internet. But yeah, if you have examples like, like in China or other countries where the internet is more restricted, um, you might need those solutions. And who knows, we might need it in the future as well. Uh, next to that, uh, the, uh, uh, there's also Titania, uh, which is um, a little bit less in the picture right now, but it's a, a, a hardened OS, basically, um, which has a dockerized, MIDI dockerized uh, um, uh, things on it. Uh, that you can run multiple apps on a really lightweight system, such as a, run, a Raspberry Pi. Um, which is quite useful for the later build-up and scaling of the project, because obviously, uh, will from this uh, will spawn a host of um, applications, plugins, uh, use cases. Um, they're working together with the University of Nayarit, uh, which is also very important. I think it's not just a philosophy or technical stuff on GitHub. Uh, it, they're putting it into place, um, and uh, one of the ways that they're doing that is is uh, with the university. So the university students will get the IDs that will register on uh, on the blockchain, and the various departments in that university will be uh, basically co-developing um, the solutions uh, of IOP they'll be the first ones to really test out, hey, uh, I want to use this for my grades and, and um, I want to integrate that. What do we actually need from it? Things like you said with the reputation system, they'll get a good test bench in a university because university people, well, they try everything, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. Okay. So Wiggy, so how did Christian do? I think his answer, answers were awesome. Obviously, we have many research projects which do not have a product yet, the mm -hmm. actual development product yet uh, we just uh, i don't know showcased it uh, internally for the community here and there we just use bootstrap to put together some uh, uh, application that can be demoed mm -hmm. um, but it's quite close to actual uh, production quality what we uh, imagine is that uh, we would like to basically 
have an API, an SDK in the in the end that is uh, easy to use by any developers to to be integrating many things. So if you just need privacy, you have Mercury. If you also need blockchain, you you have Hydra also under the hood, and uh, you don't need uh, to understand all the complex uh, cryptographic uh, protocols to to actually build an app. Okay, so let's talk about my favorite topic, Arc. Wiggy, how did you first hear about Arc and what we were doing? There was a year when I read too many white papers. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, so we had we have this Hydra concept for quite a while. And then uh, I just read the Arc uh, white paper and I thought, hey, they implemented about 80% of the Hydra already. <laughs> so, um, to be open for creating new blockchains, to have an ecosystem that, that connects all these blockchains together. Uh, I, I pretty uh, that was pretty, pretty much uh, what we thought as a scaling idea, uh, because uh, we are targeting local communities mostly. Some of them might become really big, but uh, our, our idea with the Mercury 2 and, and the, all the IOP stack uh, components is to have uh, smaller communities which are interoperable. So it was a really good match in a technical match uh, with the Arc chain. Interesting. So what specific aspect of Arc technologies really sealed the deal for you to start using it to deploy your solution? I think it wasn't a technical uh, decision. It was more like a, a community decision. So uh, reading the white paper, how the, how the uh, community works in Arc was the decision, decision point. Personally, I'm not a TypeScript or JavaScript kind of person. So it was a really... Um, Varying part for me. I like Rust and the type languages more. Uh, but uh, it, the code was okay. So I read through the code and I, I found I didn't find a, a pretty bad smells. So uh, <laughs> we, we discussed internally with the developers that hey, although we don't like the TypeScript that much and JavaScript, how about going this way? And we did. We are okay uh, generally with the code quality. It's just. Uh, really difficult to keep up with all the pace you have. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. And you know, NOS also uh, mentioned this as well. And just looking at our blog, like you could see that we're really iterating core like fast. And as soon as we release a new one and developers get used to it, we're like, now we have more stuff you can do with it. So I know that developers have been asking us, you know, when is that gonna kind of chill out? And <laughs> after 2.6, which is coming up very soon, which is, arguably the biggest update so far for core like ever it's gonna have a lot of new infrastructure and features but when three comes out that's really going to be the production level and then it's just going to be what it is and then everything else will just be plugins and modules that are just running in parallel or stacking on top of of the initial core so so yeah, uh, we've been on a very wild ride, a lot of rapids uh, for development, and our raft is pretty sturdy, but uh, people don't like getting motion sickness. So Marcus, would you like to add anything? Yeah, well, um, um, personally, I, I, I would like to, to add a kind of, how do you say it? Yeah. I like really to reach my hand to the community. Uh, if uh, you see what we did in the last weeks, uh, just by co combining, or we we four kind of arc and uh, started to look into the uh, code and digging deeper into it, understanding it, and we already found uh, some 
some uh, optimizations that uh, could be done and I think uh, we were even in the last month list of uh, contributors uh, for patches and, and fixing code and um, uh, our developers are well, Wiggy doesn't like type uh, TypeScript that much, but uh, uh, Shandor, for example, uh, he's really a king in that. And uh, we have developers that are top-notch and are really interested in uh, not just uh, using uh, the art blockchain and then uh, we build our own stuff, but uh, what I could imagine or what we all wish and hope is that uh, we could uh, combine some resources and build synergies because um, it's not so important for now 2.6 but when you're heading to the version 3.0 uh, imagine just I just throw it into the room imagine Arc is uh, capable of uh, just by plug-in integrating uh, decentralized IDs on the Arc blockchain um, and uh, so what uh, my vision is, is that uh, both projects could really benefit from each other, collaborate, work together and uh, do something kind of ideal, um, do something uh, that is not so common in the uh, crypto world because everybody is uh, brewing his own beer and a lot of projects just uh, dry out, run out because they, they are not willing to cooperate, they try to, to do their own stuff. But to my opinion, if we really want to compete against Libra uh, and against all the other big ones that are coming, against these platforms like uh, Tronion, whatever, uh, then uh, those real community-oriented projects like us that are completely decentralized, they should start coming together, building stuff together, uh, building synergies and then building a crypto community and then it doesn't matter if you if you are wearing an ARC t-shirt, uh, if you wear an IP t-shirt, the underlying theme of it is uh, we are the decentralized uh, opposition to what the, the corporations and the governments are building out there. And this is our main goal. And uh, we try to reach out to other projects before. And uh, honestly, um, uh, many said, oh, yeah, good idea, but then really nothing happened because the whales or the investors, uh, whoever in these projects, were not interested in, in uh, doing a big corporation because they thought and fear that there will be uh, happen some kind of delusion, ARC will be less birth or IOP will be uh, a, a loose uh, image because ARC is too powerful. And to my opinion, this is utterly bullshit. Uh, <laughs> if, if, if teams work uh, together and we have the same focus and Arc is using its strength and we are using our strengths. Uh, the, the goal must be that I'm capable of just sending 20 Arc and 10 IAP to pay something. They should work together, they should be uh, uh, dependent and, and cooperative, collaborative, and we should uh, foster the movement and not uh, try to, to fight each other and, and, and build uh, silos and isolated solutions. Yeah. So do you plan on developing any open source tools or modules like that would benefit other developers in the Arc ecosystem? Yeah, for sure, 100%. So um, uh, if Arc for now would repel us and say, ah, no, and uh, like some projects before, no, we want to just uh, make our own soup, uh, uh, then I really cannot understand why you are trying to build these bridges, right? You, 
you have the bridges to combine blockchains uh, to 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 be stronger because together yeah one for all and all for one yeah uh, these bridges are exactly from uh, uh, your philosophy and this is 100% uh, the same what iop stack has because we in iop we don't care if you use hydra or not hydra is not a competitor to our yeah uh, what we do is we deliver you uh, a modulized stack where you for example if you're not arc you could be even another blockchain you could just take the layer one in our uh, stack and use mercury for decentralized peer-to-peer -peer communication so the iop stack is basically an infrastructure that we are building while i see arc uh, they are building uh, community-centric uh, uh, real applications and, and, and solutions and like combine different blockchains and IOP fits perfectly into that. And Arc is the only community at this moment that was so open and uh, embracing our ideas so far and this is obviously why we have this podcast. So I'm happy that I now could introduce my vision or my idea uh, and hope that the, our community is, uh, yeah, is open to, to, to such a proposal. All right. Well, thank you for expanding on that, Marcus. Wiggy, what have you built so far using Arc? We made a bridge chain. Okay. They made a bridge chain, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Details. Details. Um, what we found is that the deployment tool for bridge chains is, was a little bit outdated. So we made, uh, made something uh, custom for, for mm -hmm. this uh, deployment. We had to fix some of the arc specific stuff in the uh, our core code but these are these are usual things um, so we are planning to be involved more in uh, in uh, helping out bridge chain testing so that uh, before each and every release we would like to uh, help in uh, testing arc bridge chains not just the arc core uh, mainnet and devnet we have some art members joined our Discord and uh, we are cooperating with them. Um, they, they, they set up some delegates. We are planning to integrate uh, wallet features uh, during the year into Prometheus and uh, obviously Arc and uh, Hydra will be first, first class citizens there. Mm -hmm. So what we saw is that uh, desktop, uh, you are also working on some of some HD wallet uh, solutions like AIP20, was it? Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure. Um, so there we would like to uh, be also involved and, uh, and help you in, in delivering uh, those uh, improvement uh, proposals. We'll see. It's a new relation. So yeah. we, we are finding our ways. All right. So let's talk about IOP crypto asset for a bit. So like right now, there's an asset out there called IOP. And what is, what is that right now? Is that its own chain? Is that a, an ERC-20 or what is that? Yeah, if I can take that, uh, IOP currently uh, is its own chain. Uh, as Vicky mentioned before, it's uh, an old fork of uh, Bitcoin uh, enhanced with some stuff of ourselves. And currently uh, that's being swapped into the new Hydra depots. And at the same time, we're having an IEO running for uh, yeah new people that join into our community. So right now at the stage, we're presenting our technology and we're allowing people to get in. And the people that have IOP, they can swap for our depots Hydra. Okay. So Hydra's on mainnet right now on a bridge chain right now? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then there's like a trade-in procedure for ditching yeah. IOP in exchange for Hydra. Yeah, there's already more than 5 million IOP burned into Hydra. 
um, out of a total supply of 14, I believe. So it's, it's going pretty fast. So moving forward, all IOP network-related activity or IOP ecosystem activity will be driven by Hydra, which is one asset. Yes. Like there'll be one asset moving forward. Okay. There's one asset. Got you, got you. I noticed, so this is going to be a bit of a curveball for you, but I noticed that there is a lot of like activity, stuff going on and, and releases during 2017 and 2018. But in recent months, I've seen that kind of slow down. Like there isn't like a steady blog coming out or anything. I'm just curious about what's been going on in 2019 for development. And if you could just kind of summarize some of the activity that's been going on there. And I ask that because some people would be like, are they dead? Are they in hibernation? Are they just waiting to get more money or what? So I was want wanting to give you a chance to kind of summarize development for 2019 and what's been going on. No, sorry, sorry. Can I quickly hug in? Um, I really have to say this is uh, based on my uh, shoulders. It was my decision. Okay. Uh, we decided uh, last year to uh, set up our own GitLab. Uh, and we split uh, development into a more unofficial part and official part, and we only release uh, yeah, finished parts on, on the GitHub, and on GitHub itself happened more or less uh, not so much things, and we had to consolidate some stuff, we rearranged, rearranged repos, uh, and out of this uh, you might get the impression that on GitHub is not uh, going so much, uh, but if you look into our private GitLab, uh, it's a completely different picture. But um, um, of course, uh, this is going to change now, and I think from here we can, can answer, but uh, it was uh, for me a political decision because there were two other projects that uh, suddenly started to have big interest into our Mercury protocol. They were starting to, uh, yeah, uh, basically to fork us and uh, brand rebranding it under their own name. And they just had to, to, we thought it's maybe better if we, until we run out of funds or as long as we can do it, we do it more or less under the hood, a little bit uh, under the surface and get far, as far as we can. And then we go to the public. And this is basically what is happening now. Okay, okay, well understood. And Wiggy, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, so uh, after we made some decisions uh, uh, during the crypto winter that how, how should we continue, we realized that we cannot afford um, anymore to just do research, right? So we need actual products. We need to um, do everything ourselves. So we cannot just uh, cooperate with developers who, who are in the community because during the crypto winter most communities had a backlash right so it's yeah. difficult to keep up the interest of everyone i i, I attended many uh, blockchain conferences where only product project members talked to each other and they they made presentations to each other and that that was a completely different picture than than in uh, i don't know 2016 when uh -huh. uh, all investors were there and the blockchain was was really high so but after uh, we can't, couldn't really count on uh, um, community members finishing all the uh, decentralized applications on, to, uh, in, uh, uh, on top of the IOP uh, step. We decided, okay, let's let us do that. Uh, so from January on, we started the Prometheus implementation, and we went on with that. And you see the CDN results uh, of that. So I don't think it's something I, I should be ashamed of. Prometheus is a, I think, a pretty good uh, wallet written in Rust, so it's quite secure too. We experimented a lot with the uh, interoperability between the uh, web stack and Rust, and uh, 
we found some some um, solutions for that. We need to finish some of, some of the uh, sample applications on top of uh, the Mac uh, IOP stack before uh, be, most of the developers will understand how to use this thing, and that's that's what we realized um, early uh, 2019. Mm. And another so, reason is uh, that uh, during the before the crypto winter, we were working on uh, seven projects at the same time, so you saw a lot of more things going on. Uh -huh. And uh, during the crypto winter, we really had to to consolidate. It is not that we had an ICO and had uh, millions of funds. On the bank account so that we can just go on for one two three four years we really depend on on donations we have to look from month to month how we can uh, afford all the ongoing endeavors and um what is but what was really really uh, not only a good lesson but good for our project is that uh, at the beginning of this year we finally uh set up a new roadmap we narrowed everything down and said, okay, we just have three core projects where we put all our efforts uh, efforts into, and that's Mercury, that's Morpheus, and that's Prometheus. And uh, once they are in somewhat MVP stage, uh, uh, we then choose a blockchain where we can now uh, attach the IDs to it and then glue it all together. And then we have the first product uh, then we have something that the universities want and demand, and then it makes sense to raise some funds. So uh, it was also um, due to the crypto winter that we had to to, to make tough decisions, uh, um, not to uh, develop on, on or dance on seven weddings, but just uh, uh, concentrate on two or three. And since then, the development uh, in the IP project has accelerated exponentially. So if you now look into GitHub, uh, just into uh, two projects, the main projects that we are developing, you see everyday commits and a lot of good code written in very clean and, and highly sophisticated Rust code. And, and, and it's going well now. It was the right decision. Okay. And then to summarize the the funding history, I guess, of IOP, there was no ICO or fundraise at the beginning. It was just you forked Bitcoin and now you have a fork and you just started working, right? Well, to be honest, uh, we have to be really careful here. There, uh, We forked basically away from the Fermat project because Fermat made a Bitcoin fork okay. and uh, they started developing and um, they had a kind, not a pre-sale, but um, they counted all the hours and that the developers put into developing the first uh, uh, product and uh, this amount what came up after one uh, one year they basically took as kind of pre-sale in the Genesis blog and uh, but they were company driven uh, corporate oriented and the whole community was starting to revolt against some decisions so basically then uh, we forked away from this project and if you look in the old IOP core uh, IOP code then you see a Genesis block uh, with uh, coins and some people say oh well you see they rise coins but it's not true we didn't do that it was the project before us uh, when we forked away our community had zero funds and everything is self-funded from the people that are really putting all their work and efforts into that understood I actually learned a lot about IOP today, um, well beyond what I learned from reading the white paper, which I like the white paper. And, you know, we are coming to the end of the show. So 
I'd like to give each of the three of you a chance to just give some final comments or final thoughts on what you'd like to tell us here at the ARC team and in the ARC community. Before I do that, I just wanted to inform the community kind of what happens next. Now, this podcast is designed as part of the assessment process for somebody to join the Powered by ARC program. The Powered by ARC program essentially gives access to uh, projects that are using ARC technology to the team and uh, allow a better form of collaboration to take place. Now, there's two possible uh, successful results from this. One would be having IOP join as a member of PBA, where they get access to that support and some other things that are outlined in some documentation. And then another possible uh, benefit would become would be becoming an official partner as well. And then that would give them access to more uh, outreach initiatives, uh, more updates and higher visibility within the art community. And this is what NOS was able to achieve as the first member and official partner of PBA. But after the podcast, there's going to be a community AMA that we're gonna schedule out where you can ask these guys direct questions about what you heard. And that's all gonna be taking place at the ARC Slack, which is at slack.arc.io. That has not been uh, set in stone yet for in terms of the date, but stay tuned on our Twitter at twitter.arc.io to see what's up with that. Now, Christian, let's start off with you. Anything you'd like to say to everyone out there in crypto land? Sure. Um, well, first of all, thank you uh, for hosting this podcast and uh, asking uh, a couple of tough questions, but also very good ones. Um, yeah, I just wanted to uh, just add a bit to the topic that we just discussed uh, about surviving the crypto, crypto winter, because uh, I feel that's an important um, uh, key feature of the IP community and the team. We have been here for uh, a long time and we've been through um, uptimes, we've seen things boom and we've seen things fall uh, and we're still together. That is an achievement in itself, especially if we consider uh, our funding history um, and it makes us stronger for the future. We still have a great network of associated developers that we can use to quickly expand if the IO is successful. And we're looking also to collaborate with the uh, our community on uh, future initiatives. Um, so uh, if anyone wants to reach out to me, I'm also in the ARC Slack. And uh, as people from the IOP community already will know, I'm uh, nearly online 24-7. Um, so feel free to shoot me a question at any time. All right. Thank you very much, Christian. And then Wiggy, thank you so much for coming on. Anything you'd like to say? Thanks for inviting us. Uh, I'm looking forward to a stronger relation with the art community. And uh, I really like the code I saw, and uh, I would like to cooperate on, on many aspects with the community. Um, I, I'm pretty sure uh, some of our developers do too. And uh, if you look at the Hydra part of our white paper, you might be uh, wondering uh, what are the real differences between Arc and Hydra, and that's 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 uh, what I would like to say. That it was an independent effort, and uh, I really liked uh, how how close we are in, in the philosophy. And then Marcus, uh, thank you so much for coming on today. Anything you'd like to uh, say in closing? Well, yes, uh, um, I'm uh, really really happy about uh, finding a community that uh, is so open and inclusive uh, to 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 other projects. The partner program is awesome. Uh, to my opinion, uh, um, 
I would like us not to see just as somebody who uh, has uh, exclusive resource accesses to, to um, patches early or this or that. Uh, we are not a company uh, that needs uh, the services. I would really like um, to see our developers collaborate on certain tasks. And these tasks is not that we talk into how you have to uh, develop your blockchain, you tell us how we have to do our stuff, but this could, for example, uh, be how to optimize a bridge uh, because we had the same idea in our, in our mind and working on the same things and um, we could uh, help with uh, patches, uh, support, uh, we could uh, do a lot more than, than, than just being a partner using your resources, but actually contributing and uh, giving our uh, a much broader scope uh, with uh, our technology and uh, yeah and changing developer resources our developers could help out and maybe some art developers could uh, help us out too all right well thanks very much marcus and christian wiggy iop squad this was a great great interview and i think everybody learned a lot so uh, hit us with the comments. That's going to be on reddit.arc.io. You can communicate with me and let me know how everything went. And then stay tuned on Twitter for the uh, AMA getting scheduled. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Arc Related of Some Unnamed Podcast. You can subscribe direct on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, and CastBox. You can also check out the site at podcast.arc.io. And of course, stay tuned for the relaunch of the arc.io podcast coming soon. You can also stream our episodes directly inside of our tweets. And how cool is that? We'll see you next time. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform the listeners. The host is not a financial advisor, and this podcast is not financial advice. Listeners are encouraged to conduct their own research prior to making any investments. Guests who speak in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions, and do not represent the beliefs or ideas of ARC.io or the ARC Crypto Podcast. A guest appearance on this podcast assumes no partnership or pending partnership with ARC.io or any associated entity. A guest appearance is by no means an endorsement or solicitation by the ARC Crypto Podcast to purchase a specific cryptocurrency at a specific time or at all. The ARC Crypto Podcast will never solicit any investment from the listener, nor will it ever contact the listener to solicit an investment. Any paid advertisements on the ARC Crypto Podcast will be clearly disclosed as such. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising which is incorporated into, placed in association with, or targeted towards the content of this podcast is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast. The ARC Crypto Podcast assumes no liability for any of your activities in connection with this podcast or for your use of this podcast in connection with your website, computer, or playing device.